Hello there. Before we get started on the latest Walk podcast, just a reminder that the Walk Awards for Effectiveness are back and they're bigger and better than ever. We've expanded from six categories to 11, so if you can show your work has worked, there'll be a category for you. Entries are now open and best of all, they're free. Head to walk.com for more details and to download your entry pack. Remember to submit before the deadline on the 29th of March. Good luck. Now, let's get to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Walk Podcast. My name's David Tiltman and this episode is part of a special three-part series that looks at creative effectiveness. We'll be looking at work that has worked and asking what you can learn from it. Now, to do this, we're going to be using campaigns from the Walk Awards for Effectiveness. We're looking at some of the work that won last year. Uh, And a quick reminder, as you heard in the intro, that this year's awards are now open for entries. Joining me in this series is Amy Rogers, Head of Content for Walk Creative, which is very much focused on creative effectiveness. And in this first episode in the series, we're going to be talking about how brands from different categories and different contexts can lean in on creativity to deliver impactful ideas. So Amy, can you give us a little bit of context around why you've chosen this as our first topic from last year's winners? Hi, David. Of course. So as our listeners hopefully already know, Walk is the home of marketing effectiveness. And there are a multitude of variables and factors that combine together to drive the effectiveness of a marketing campaign, one of which is creativity. Now, how big that role is and um, whether you can have effectiveness without creativity, that's a debate definitely for another day. But I wanted to highlight three campaigns from our 2022 award winners that are really great examples of the use of creativity in totally different sectors, um, but they they all lead to really effective results for those brands. And I guess, you know, this is an important, uh, an important message that that Sometimes when we look at sort of the the really big, amazing creative campaigns, we're thinking of the the sexier sectors, youth-focused products often, but there's opportunity to really uh, think creatively uh, across lots of different sectors and lots of different audience types. And actually what we mean by creativity might look different depending on on those two, two variables. Yeah, definitely. And one one of the ones that we're looking at today is B2B. So something that you wouldn't necessarily um, connect immediately with creativity, but actually the results were were great for, um, and it's for um, international logistics company Maersk. Yes, that's the the shipping company. I I think it's pronounced Maersk. Maersk, yeah, something like that, exactly. My Danish isn't brilliant, but yes, let's, let's go with that. So yeah, the B2B sector's witnessing a bit of a a step change at the moment, Um, where in the past its communications heavily relied on on pretty rational messaging. um, B2B brands are now increasingly embracing a more human, emotional and and ultimately creative approach. Um, So for the past three years, Maersk has been leading the way for creative communications in, in the B2B sector. Um, So it was already an established market leader in the ocean shipping market. Um, But then in recent years, it's also expanded into land and air transport. And so to support that change in its offering, um, it started investing in in really creative advertising. And so the aim was to reinforce its position as this end-to-end logistics partner. 
Yes, there's a couple of really interesting points there. Firstly, you're exactly right that, you know, thanks to the work of things like the B2B Institute and work we've done here at, at Walk, we are really seeing uh, a bit of a renaissance of, of, of B2B marketing. Um, but it sounds like Maersk was uh, a, a few years ahead of the, that particular curve. Yeah, this series of campaigns actually scored all the way to the top rung of our B2B effectiveness ladder, so level six. Um, so that's what we term a uh, strategic asset. So that's one which grows the brand and the business over the long term. Um, this latest campaign was its most ambitious um, over that three-year period and led to a 41% growth in revenue. Um, and so that growth in revenue has only continued over this three-year um, investment in, in creativity. Um its creative commitment was also high, so it scored 9 out of 15, um, which is unusual in B2B where that score tends to be lower. So let's just pause there because you mentioned creative commitment. Um, for, those of, for those of our listeners who haven't heard us talk about creative commitment before, uh, this is a, uh, a sort of rule of thumb we developed uh, as part of a white paper called the Effectiveness Code, which combines... Uh, three measures, budget level, duration in market, and number of media channels used. And what we found is that there is a positive correlation between uh, creative commitment and uh, uh, and sort of how far up the effectiveness ladder uh, you get. And the idea is that the creative idea is, is sort of one driver of effectiveness, but it needs to have the right conditions surrounding it, uh, particularly in terms of investment and reach, that uh, to, to enable it to really maximise its potential. So uh, I think what we're saying here is that that commitment to creativity wasn't just about um, developing wonderful ideas. It was about having a sort of investment profile that, that supported that creativity. Um, so with that out of the way, uh, why don't we do, find out a little bit more about the campaign? So Amy, tell us about the, the, the specific execution uh, that we're looking at in, in today's podcast. Yeah, so the latest campaign um, was titled The Upside of Integrated Logistics. Um, it won the Grand Prix for B2B um, in our 2022 uh, Walk Awards for Effectiveness. Um, and like I said earlier, it was their most ambitious work yet in terms of messaging, creativity and that use of media. At the centre of the campaign was a film depicting an Alice in Wonderland-esque upside down world. Um, we've got a clip from the case study here, which will tell you a bit more about the storyline. Advertising has always been about turning heads, but in this campaign, it was truer than ever. Mask wanted to turn the world's perception of logistics upside down, not to be perceived as the department of unforeseen problems, but that of opportunities. To kick everything off was a modern fairy tale about a woman trapped in the everyday horrors of logistics until she gets turned around and discovers a new approach to it. Okay, so... With, this is the third uh, execution in a sort of three-year program of using creativity. And, and I think it's important to recognize that this creativity uh, very much reflects a time and a place for Maersk. Uh, they, were, they were trying to sort of expand their reach into different parts of the C-suite. They were trying to talk at an audience beyond their normal, uh, normal audience. They were really trying to move perceptions of the brand among that audience. So uh, the the sort of creative work has a sort of 
lot of work to do, if you like. Uh, and and I think you know we we found out a little bit more about this from the from the team behind the campaign, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. So we spoke to um, both the marketing team at Maersk and Havas, who were the agency that worked on the ca- campaign. Um, we've got a clip here from Dominic Pope, who's the senior brand marketing manager at Maersk. Um, and, he, and he spoke to exactly that. It was about moving perceptions, which I think in B2B is, is one of the harder tasks because uh, perceptions within B2B are pretty, pretty strongly set. So, yeah, let's, let's hear from Dominic. The biggest thing we had to achieve was a perception shift. Maersk is uh, over 100 years old and is really well known in the world of shipping. And we now have moved into a new category and we really needed to be able to talk to customers about our ability to deliver their end-to-end logistics solutions. Um, The second thing was moving their perception of what they saw logistics and supply chain as. Uh, Many of them see it as an area of unforeseen problems and challenges. And actually, we wanted them to realise the opportunities that are present within logistics and be able to see it as a competitive advantage. So like we heard in the the case study clip, um, the brand told this modern fairy tale of of a woman trapped in the everyday struggles of logistics until she finds Maersk. Um, So the the campaign was a a culmination of three years of consistency, like we said. Um, Maersk worked with Havas to put creativity at the centre of their marketing strategy. Here's Yanis Zakos, strategy director at Havas, talking about the importance of that strategy. I think the main thing that was consistent across the three years is that kind of creative idea sitting at the heart of of everything we do. So distinctive, creative, immersive stories. Um, I think the challenge of visualizing supply chains and telling an immersive story uh, about that and about the potential was probably the most most challenging uh, aspect. I think overall, uh, the, the brilliance of the idea is that we took a recognizable narrative a fairy tale like Alice in Wonderland, and we used that as a springboard to tell our story. Um, so straight away, it was easy for people to grasp the net, the general narrative, um, and from that we we kind of tap into you know into the things that we could we could use. So you know it's a scary world, but also it's you know it's a wonderful world of, of opportunity, and we wanted to have our own voice in that. So. Visually, it was such a rich territory that you know we created a miniature world of you know the supply chain, and then we used CGI to to animate that. I think the brilliant thing that we got as feedback from from a client was that he said it was the first time that they saw a whole supply chain visualized, and and that in itself was was quite an achievement uh, for us. So listening to Yanis there, I, I think one thing this case study really reinforces is is the importance in in sort of long term commitment to creativity. Uh, a lot of work uh, we see is often quite short term. It's often quite stunty. It's often sort of one and done. But but this sort of shows a real sort of uh, real ambition around using creativity to move the needle uh, over over years, not not quarters. Uh, and I think that's that's really sort of impressive and sort of refreshing, uh, not just in the B2B sense, but 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 more broadly. Um, and, you know, let's face it, supply chains can't have been the most inspiring area uh, to be creative about, but, but they managed it. And they managed to create something that would work across different channels with those channels playing different roles within the campaign. Yeah, and it also worked internally. Um, something I found really interesting when we talked to the Havas team about this campaign was that it was really embraced by the whole organisation internally at Maersk. Um, it wasn't just an outward-facing campaign. Um, the marketing 
team really ran with the idea and they brought the whole business um, along with it. And they could do that because there was trust internally between the marketing team and the rest of the business. Um, I think we've got another clip here which which kind of talks about that relationship Yanis um, had with, with the marketing team at Maersk. I think the bit that we really loved is that usually you kind of sell a campaign and, and you see it happen. But in this case, I feel like the, the, the Maersk marketing team really run with this idea, even internally. Because when you've got over 80,000 employees and you're on a transformation journey, you need to bring them along. Um, so there was a lot of elements of the campaign that were used also internally. So, you know, the whole idea was about that upside world. And you've seen some of this on the, on the reels where we had in the reception areas changing, you know, putting things in the ceiling. Uh, but my favorite one was even in the meeting rooms and the headquarters, the names of the meeting rooms were turned upside down. Uh, so this was embraced by the whole organization and rallied the people around to have conversations internally, but also with, with clients. So that's our first, well, that's like our first sector, our first example of creativity working in one sector. Let's go to a very different sector. So Amy, what have you got next? Yeah, so we're shifting from B2B to soft drinks. Um, So this second campaign won a gold in our instant impact category, and it's from Pepsi. Um, So this is the Better with Pepsi campaign, um, which had a really successful year awards-wise last year um, because it had huge huge results for the company, um, but was also really creative. So it won both creative and effective awards. Um, And the insight for the campaign was that in blind taste tests, 60% of participants preferred Pepsi to Coke, but Pepsi wasn't available in the top um, US burger chains. So that's like Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King. They all serve Coke. So what Pepsi did was to use uh, an origami artist to fold the paper bag logos of those top three US burger chains to create or or uncover, in their words, a, a Pepsi logo. And so images of those bags with the burger chain logos still visible, recognisable, but with those engineered Pepsi logos front and centre were run across print, out of home and social media. And the message was that while Pepsi might not be on the menu in those restaurants, it was always in the picture. And then they had a final ad that showed the mascots of those three borrowed logo chains walking together with with Pepsis in their hands. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. There's origami there's uh there's there's the the sort of logos and characters of of other brands and there's a sort of message around don't worry if pepsi isn't actually available in in the restaurant you're going into so as i say there's quite quite a lot uh going on and and in some ways this feels feels like really sort of interesting challenger brand territory you know you sort of uh, almost trying to build off of or borrow or challenge the equity of uh, uh, of larger uh, incumbents. I and mean, there's sort of, uh, you know, a little bit, you, you know, you think they might have been looking at what Burger King have been up to um, uh, in some of their ads versus McDonald's uh, over the past few years. Do you get a sense that, you know, that there's a, there's a sort of sense of provocation in this uh, in this campaign? Yeah, definitely. They're they're using the fame of those other brand logos. They're borrowing their their fluent devices to use a system one word. Um, McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's—they're all really, really famous brands. And so it's it's both clever and and risky um, to put Pepsi at the centre of that. But but what I liked about this was the creativity of it. And so that that you know the origami artwork that uncovered those Pepsi logos. 
um, that that was a single moment of activity. You know, they only they only did that one thing. But so so in a way, you know, it was a it was a smaller scale piece of work than Maersk in terms of the media mix. But then consumers could engage with that. So um, they created their own versions of that lead creative. And, and so it took on a, a life of its own across social channels. Um, but I also really liked that the two lead channels in this campaign were, were print and out of home. They're really traditional channels. You wouldn't you know, expect a really, really massive creative campaign to put just those two at the centre of it. But as they say in their case study, iconic print can be even more effective than jumping on, on the latest hot thing. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, sometimes you know there's creativity in the in the choice of media, not just in the uh, uh, in the message. And sometimes, you know, um, going back to the future is is no bad thing. Now, I can see why this won creative awards. Uh, it's 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 definitely got that feel to it. Um, let's take a look a little bit more closely at the effectiveness of this campaign. Then, um, is this campaign has won awards for both, both creativity and effectiveness, and and we tend to find that's that's quite a rare feat. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, we we've got research from our from our rankings work that that actually shows that it's the minority of campaigns that win both creativity and effectiveness awards um so yeah it so, won and, and just to just to be really clear it's the minority of campaigns that win creative awards that'll then go on to win uh, effectiveness awards so we're, we're talking about quite a small pool here yeah absolutely um so it, it won at both Can Lion and DNAD. So they're two of the biggest global shows awarding creativity. Um, and what the judges at those shows loved about the piece of work that it was that it put the kind of the creativity and the craft into what was actually quite a, a mundane brief that food tastes better with Pepsi. And then, you know, took something that was quite functional and turned it into something beautiful. Um, yeah. And then on the flip side of that, they've, it's won multiple awards for effectiveness. So that beautiful creativity has really brought results. Um, obviously, it won in our own Walk Awards for effectiveness, um, but but it's won elsewhere as well. Um, it, it's its main result was that it had a 1.1 point share swing from from Coke um, on the previous year, and it's a 29 billion dollar category. So you know, a 1.1 swing there is is quite significant. I'm sure there were other things going on as well, but I I, I dare say this this uh, this didn't hurt. I, I bet there's, there's there's some quite interesting testing results in this uh, from from external parties, isn't there? Yeah. So just after the campaign launched, um, advertising research company System One um, looked into the ads' effectiveness and potential for brand growth. So this was this was before they'd announced any results. It it um, it tested it when the ad was live out of home and in print um, because. The, the ads are, are quite unusual in their use of other brands' fluent devices, like I said earlier, those mascots and the wrappers. Um, and so the ads are, are expecting quite a high level of brand fluency and, and ad literacy um, from the consumers that are looking at these ads. Yeah, that's true. And this, this, is, this is quite risky, isn't it? Because the viewer needs to be able to recognise the burger brand, recognise the Pepsi logo, understand the link the ads are making between the two. So you know that you're asking quite a lot of audiences to 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 pick up on all these cues. Yeah, system 1 termed that uh, an unusual amount of cognitive load for a print ad. Interesting. Okay, so so what else did they conclude? So they found them uh, to be strong in terms of predicting long-term market share growth. So customers liked that final ad the best. They, they liked the one with the mascots holding the Pepsis. Um it had a strong score and lots of 
happiness and surprise from seeing those burger mascots together. Um, but then on the counter, they found that the ads had slightly low fluency scores. So to your point, um, some of the audience didn't realise that they were Pepsi ads. They took them to be ads for for those other burger chains instead. Um, and what they concluded was that it's quite a rare example of a campaign that feels like a short-term activation promotion, but may, might actually work better as a long-term play. So that was back in May 2021 when, when they tested the ads. Um, but as we can see from the latest effectiveness paper, um, you know, it's a, got a market share growth of 1.1 points since then and overachieved in terms of reach and engagement goals. So it definitely worked for Pepsi. Um, against our creative effectiveness ladder, it's scored on rungs one through to four. So we'd call this a brand builder campaign. Um, it, it's, it improves the fundamental measures of brand health, of kind of awareness, consideration, preference, um, so yeah, we, you know, against all of our metrics, it worked, but perhaps, perhaps still it ha- has got room for for longer term impact as well. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, I'm not sure whether it 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 kept going after this. I haven't I haven't seen any follow up. Um, and I think that comment from from System One, that that ad testing company, that it it was a short term activation, but but could have worked as a longer term piece sort of goes back to the point we were making with the first campaign where if you really want to get the, the long-term benefits out of creativity, it's it's better to think of, of how you keep building on it and how you advance it. Uh, it becomes a bigger program rather than a, than, a, than a quick one and done. Okay, let's leave the world of soft drinks and, and quick service restaurants and move to uh, our final brand and our final sector. So, Amy, what have you got for us? Uh, so the final one I wanted to talk about today is Deutsche Bahn in the travel and tourism sector. So when you hear the word programmatic, what comes to mind? Chances are it's things like data, algorithms, targeting, Fraud. not so much creativity. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So not so much creativity or humour. Well, over the past few years, Deutsche Bahn, so that's Germany's uh, national train operator, um, they've redefined programmatic advertising. Um, They've married that precise targeting um, with creativity and it's been paying off. Yeah, so uh, so be be a little bit facetious there, but I mean, programmatic normally brings to mind um, what we might call sort of performance marketing. So this is leaning very much into rational appeals, sales activation, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's it's not really what you associate with uh, with creative brand building. So, you know, what's going on here? Um, well, actually, the, the creative idea for this campaign um, started back in 2018. Um, Deutsche Bahn have iterated it since throughout COVID and beyond. Um, but the latest campaign uh, was called Rediscover Germany. It won the Grand Prix at the 2022 Walk Awards for Effectiveness uh, in our instant impact category. Um, and it used an algorithm. So it, it used an algorithm to search for lookalike photographs of popular tourist destinations from within Germany. So that's the kind of programmatic side of it. And then it targeted consumers interested in specific overseas destinations with the two photos pitched against each other. So one from the target destination and one from within Ger- Germany. The original destination had a real-time flight cost from the consumer's closest airport um, found via geotargeting. And then the the photograph from within Germany next to it had the rail price from Deutsche Bahn. 
So the message was that there's no need to fly. So they're taking images of places within Germany and putting them next to images of the places people are thinking of visiting and pointing out that it's much cheaper to get a train within Germany to, you know, the beautiful bridge or the stunning river view within Germany rather than flying to the other side of the world. That's that's right, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And and the two photographs, um, if, if you look at the creator from the campaign, they're, they're very, very similar. They're, one is of this incredible place that you wouldn't ever imagine to be um, in Germany next to this the, the destination that they'd originally searched for. And, and you know, it, it does make you want to go to those places in Germany. I was quite surprised when I when I looked at the creative. So, um, yeah, a clever idea and one executed really, we- really well through beautiful photography. So we've got a clip from the case study video here that tells you a bit more about the campaign. COVID summer 2020. The entire world wants to travel again. The only ones who don't have to miss out on anything are the Germans. People interested in Asia found Asia in Saxon, Switzerland or at Kaiserstuhl. People longing for North America found North America. People who were looking for beaches found the Philippines in Bavaria or Mauritius in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern. Whoever wanted more information got more information, seamlessly integrated with the content of 16 tourism associations, only one click away from booking a ticket at all times. Hundreds of destinations, tens of thousands of lines of copy, millions of clicks, one goal to show Germans during COVID times that Germany offers more destinations than the North Sea and the Alps. As you say, this is, uh, this is uh, although it's of the instant impact category, so it's it definitely showed it could have an instant impact, it is again part of a sort of sequence of campaigns that goes back to 2018. But there was a specific sort of post-pandemic context uh, to this particular execution, wasn't there? So, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. So throughout those three years, they'd always the, the the idea of the campaign was encouraging people to find destinations at home. But coming out of the pandemic, um, Deutsche Bahn knew that people wanted to travel, but they still had challenges. So within Germany at that time, people still couldn't go abroad, um, but they did. They could travel around. Um, but the brand knew that they had to be mindful of public safety needs when promoting travel. So they couldn't be sending people to these popular tourist destinations where there would be loads of people all in one place. That wouldn't be that. That wouldn't be wise. So. Deutsche Bahn worked with Ogilvy on this campaign and um, last year at Cannes we spoke to Ogilvy's Isabel Schnellbugel um, who told us about their long-term, how, how that long-term idea had evolved in, in the face of a global health crisis. So in the summer of 2020, um, this insight was more relevant than ever. People wanted to travel, but they weren't, they couldn't, right? So uh, we used that insight, but we elevated in a different way. There was a different context, right? Experts really warned that people would go to specific destinations, that those were overcrowded, and that would pose a risk to people's health. So our ambition was to show the breadth of destinations within Germany and really help distribute people evenly across the country. Okay, yeah, so really uh, interesting comments there. And also, you know, I know I keep harping on about this, but this idea that it was an idea that was flexible enough to work in a number of different contexts seems uh, seems quite powerful. But the other thing, as you said at the start, was that programmatic element, that sort of balance of, of 
man and machine or algorithm and and uh and human insight so you've got that sort of creative idea the craft of the photography but then the algorithms and the data that really sort of uh, uh you know give it give it an extra extra edge and extra flavor yeah in our interview with isabel she talked about uh, bringing together ogilvy's dna of creativity with with those modern tools of marketing so automation personalization at scale behavioral science all baked together into one fantastic idea. Um, Isabel specifically singled out the combination of creativity and performance advertising as one of the biggest learnings of this campaign. Um, she talks about the, the four biggest learnings in this next clip. Um, I would say there are four. Uh, first of all, um, personalization at scale is definitely something that we feel has a, a strong impact. So finding people and showing relevant content to them. Um, coming from Google, I know all about uh, you know performance-driven advertising. But then, and that's the second learning, adding uh, creativity uh, to it and really figuring out what is the core insight that speaks to humans in a relevant way and connects with them in a very personal way and then contextualize that through uh, targeted advertising, through personalization at scale. I think that's where, you know, where the magic, um, magic happens. A project of this scale and ambition, um, one that's evolved across many iterations, it can only really be achieved with that really strong, um, long-lasting client agency relationship um, with, with trust at the forefront of it. Um, and that's something that came across really strongly when speaking about the campaign with Isabel. Um, and it's actually something that um, many of our award winners spoke about, and that's collaboration. So how important collaboration was um, in the success of the campaign. And we've got a, a clip here where, where Isabel talks about that collaborative um, element of the campaign. And then um, it was also about bringing together different partners. We could have done none of those iterations without the help of our partners. In the first uh, instance, it was Meta or Facebook and Spireball that really helped us to create those targeted messages. Uh, in the second iteration, we also worked with a company that provided the information around CO2 emissions. And in the last one, it was all about bringing those different partners together from client side, but then also from those different tourist associations that really helped us bring this campaign to life okay so where did this one score on our creative effectiveness ladder uh, this is another brand builder campaign so it scored against rungs one through to four uh, with a cr creative commitment score of six so still lots of room for future iterations to work even harder on on that creative scale um, to get the effectiveness gains yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that, that this one's uh, pitched in the instant impact category. So, uh, you know, maybe slightly differently to the mayor's squad at the beginning, it's it's a series of high impact short term campaigns that uh, that that are sort of building on a sort of single platform rather than a sort of, you know, uh, a long lasting program that is seeking to to achieve real sort of higher order effects uh like things like you know pricing movement or or, or profit growth so um as you say potentially uh you know there's there's scope to do even more with that campaign yeah absolutely Great. Thank you, Amy. Uh, that's all for today. Um, we come back to that point Amy mentioned a moment ago around collaboration and partnership in the second one of the this sort of special series, the second episode, and we'll be releasing that next week. So keep an eye out for that. Um, just a reminder, as, as we've said a few times, this year's Walk Awards for Effectiveness are now open for entries. Uh, we've got 11 categories this year and it's completely free to enter. 
As for the podcast, we'll be back next time. Please do subscribe if you don't already on your favourite podcasting platform. And if you like what you've heard, leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.